Today's podcast is brought to you by Bear Dynasty Exterior Paint. It tackles weather head-on, which means that even under challenging UV sun exposure, your paint job will maintain its luster and your client won't have to be worried about their paint fading. With the 10-year color fade protection, dark colors keep looking rich and bold white light colors remain vibrant and new. Bear's advanced formula resists rain as early as 60 minutes after application. So you can paint in the morning even when rain showers are expected in the afternoon. Bear Dynasty exterior paint can be applied in cold and hot climates from as low as 35 degrees all the way up to 90 degrees. So you can extend your painting season. Outstanding early block resistance allows for a quick return to service and provides a tack-free film that keeps painted surfaces from sticking together in just four hours, making it ideal for use on cabinets, doors, and trips. Limitations apply. See the back label for details. And for more information, go to bear.com slash pro. Welcome to Paint Radio with your host, Andrew Dwyer. Paint Radio, the APC podcast. I'm Andrew Dwyer. Today, we're talking about marketing, and I come from a, I'm an English major. I come from a writing background, very much a content creation background, and I can definitely say that when I started my career in publishing, it was very common for editors to really be siloed, like, hey, I'm an editor, not only am I not interested in sales, I don't want to know about sales, which might make sense if you're working for the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, but doesn't really make a ton of sense when you're working for B2B media. I remember learning early on from my mentors that I think editors can get a little arrogant when it comes to, oh, I'm an editor, and it's such a higher calling than sales. And And somebody told me once, which you've all heard before, man, you can create the greatest content you want. But if nobody's selling, it doesn't exist. And so we all have to have respect for all the different categories. And that obviously is the same, same is true for marketing. Cause you know, where, where does marketing end and sales begin? Oh my gosh, that could be a 10 hour podcast, but it's a very difficult line to distinguish. But I think just like as an editor gets involved in publishing and loving to write, I think there are plenty of contractors who get started in painting because they like to paint. And they don't really like the idea of marketing. So that's all preamble to introduce the topic of the day, which is is marketing. And this is definitely not an intro to marketing. I think it might be uh, maybe a 201, a 301 level course, maybe. Maybe an upper graduate marketing discussion. And professor today is Austin Hauser. You know Austin from Base Coat Marketing. You got to love when you're working with someone who specializes in the painting industry. That's tremendous. You know you're talking to the right person. Austin, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you? Andrew, I'm great. Thanks for having me here today, man. Marketing. Good Lord. There's <laughs> it's such an enormous umbrella. And of course, you work with painting contractors. God, it's got to almost be like you're a therapist because you must deal with so many different types of people people who love marketing and want to get even better, people who hate and despise marketing and want you to do everything, people who want to know exactly what you're doing, people who are just like, no, I want you to do it and never talk to me. 
So try to encapsulate marketing. How should painting contractors, what, what's helped you in trying to explain the role and the purpose and the upside and the potential that marketing can have on a business, which sounds absurd. It's such a basic question, but hey, if there's nothing I do better than absurdity, I don't know what it is. So Austin, get us thinking about marketing. How would you describe its role and purpose in the company? Yeah, just to answer that question, we deal with a rainbow of personalities within this space, but we absolutely fell in love with it about 15 years ago. So we've been in this space a while. Whenever it comes to marketing, the best way I can describe it is we are simply a megaphone. We are an amplification device for your message. So you're a business owner, you run a company, that company is a reflection of you. Our job as a marketing agency is simply to amplify your message so more people hear it. So you mentioned editors and how if nobody's selling, then what's the point of writing content? In the world of marketing, it's all about how people are listening and how many people are, are listening and are they the right people? So in the world of marketing, it is simply an amplification mechanism. Damn, Austin, that's uh that's tremendous. I love that. Wow. I'm going to have to listen to that again. I love the concept of amplification. You're not fooling anybody. You're not trying to fool anybody. You do a great job. Your culture, your personality, your product, your service is tremendous. But don't hide it under a bushel, baby. Let's uh let's let the world know about it. So Yeah. Let's do let's, it. <laughs> so then moving this discussion forward, you can think of marketing as short-term goals, which I assume are, you know, very much lead-based. Like, man, I, I need sales now. I need leads versus long-term goals. And Austin, as tradition is on this podcast, you are welcome to say that, no, Andrew, you have that totally wrong. Let me fix it. So let's talk a bit, make some distinctions between long-term marketing goals and short-term marketing goals. Yeah, that's a great starting point here. So when we're looking at marketing, I think the important thing that we need to break down is the seasonality of this space. So very much like most industries, whether you're in, let's say, retail or home service, there is some seasonality to that space, right? In the professional painting space, what we're looking at is you have a pretty big shoulder during the spring and summer, and then again, early fall, so in about a month. And that holds true to most markets throughout the United States, which is where most of our clients reside today. So when we're looking at where we can generate leads for the lowest cost and at the highest volume, it's generally going to be during the spring and summer and during the early fall. Those are the two shoulders that we look at. There's a number of different variations that fall into place there, but without getting too granular, that's that picture from a high level. Now, what we like to do is layer on two different types of marketing and this holds true for any space, any industry. There's going to be short-term and long-term. Short-term, as you've already articulated, are things like advertisements, particularly around Google and Meta. So short-term marketing is going to follow that seasonal curve. So as you get busy, your cost per lead is going to go down and the volume is going to go up, right? And then during the, let's say, August, that is generally a pretty hard month to generate lead flow. Why? Because there's back to school and everybody's on vacation and it's hot in most states. So it's hard to paint outside. And most people aren't thinking about repainting their house when they're sitting on a beach. So we have a very nuanced approach to identifying the season. We identify that, hey, you can generate leads on these channels, but they are going to follow that lead curve. 
The long-term marketing approach is where we really shine, and that's where the foundation of our marketing strategy comes from. And that's built around things like websites, SEO, and your Google business profile, just to paint the picture there, pun intended. Mm -hmm. So the benefit of long-term marketing is that creates the foundation. That's your new floor. Now, long-term marketing, depending on the market that you're in, can take 6 to 12 or sometimes even 18 to 24 months to really start taking effect. So you're waiting a while. That return on investment may not come until month 12 or 13. That isn't always practical for most businesses to be investing in something for that long. That's where short-term marketing comes into play. Layering those two strategies on top of one another gets you the short-term wins, that short-term ROI, knowing that we're going to reduce your dependency on that long-term by relying heavier on that SEO and organic growth online. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned meta. Do people actually use meta to describe Facebook or is meta more meant to describe the larger Zuckerberg empire? Like, yeah, should we be calling Facebook meta? Yeah, it's, it's tricky. So I don't know from a technical standpoint, how many people <laughs> understand that meta now owns Facebook and Instagram. So from our vantage point as the marketing agency using these tools, it's called meta. But when we're breaking it down at a granular point, it's simply Facebook and Instagram advertising. Interesting. Just like Twitter is still Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least for now, we'll see what happens. Maybe Twitter won't even exist. So yes, the same company owns Facebook and Instagram. So let's talk about those. Can you have a singular strategy for both Facebook and Instagram or do they require different distinct strategies? So Facebook in all of their glory has made it relatively simple to advertise across multiple platforms using one ad channel. So the strategies are more or less the same. It gets nuanced when we're talking about reels and stuff like that, but we have a very simplistic approach for advertising on that particular channel. And it really just follows around building trust and authenticity. Trust is the digital currency of social media. If you try to sell too hard on that platform, you're going to fall flat on your face. So when, it, when I hear trust, I think about sincere. Like if you hate being on video, don't do video, right? But if you enjoy or if you have somebody on staff who's particularly good at photography, then go ahead and have a, a photo-based marketing campaign. Is that fair or am I wrong once again? I don't think you're too far off. Just to break it down real simple. So if you're advertising on social media today, and we can just keep it generic. That way we can include things like TikTok and Twitter and stuff like that. But if you're advertising on any social channel and you have an ad that looks like an ad, similar to what you'd see in the newspaper or on TV. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when we had newspapers. It's something that typically is a turnoff, right? Like if you're scrolling through social media, that infinite scroll is happening, your immediate reaction is let's get past that ad to see what my friends are doing. Now, when we work on what's called interruption marketing, pattern interruptions, what we're looking at there is actually what we can do to have that person pause or stop scrolling. And the best way to do that is creating an ad that does not look like an ad. And we do that by leveraging human faces. So it may sound crazy, but our best performing ads are called our Honest Abe ad set. And what we do is instead of doing the typical before and after images, we have a picture of a family sitting in front of a Christmas tree that we post in July or August. Because that is a pattern interrupt that somebody's like, why am I seeing this man's face on my newsfeed in July, and he's wearing a Santa hat. 
That pattern interrupt allows us to then create a story around that where we talk to the audience themselves. Instead of saying 10% off all interior painting projects, we say, hey, my name's Steve and I own a painting company here in your local town and I want to tell you a story about my company. And that ad set is our top of funnel marketing campaign where further down that marketing funnel, we'll create those standard before and after images that tend to sell. But if you're not leading with trust and authenticity, you never get anybody into that funnel to begin with. So that's a, that's more of a straightforward ad. But as far as just a post on Instagram or Facebook, if you're inclined to shoot a video, a 10 second video and just say, Hey, I'm starting a new job today. Here we are. Got the whole crew unloading supplies. Looking forward to another great day of painting and then have, I don't know, pano of the house. Do you like that? Does somebody need specific skills to do such a type of a post? Do you need some people around you who can say, yo, Andrew, that's really not your strength? So when we're looking at what's called organic social media marketing, where you are simply creating posts on your Facebook page or Instagram business profile, those do not generate results. And I'm saying that with all of the sincerity in the world, because I know a lot of guys invest a lot of time and they pay people to go out there and post 4th of July promos and Father's Day posts on their profiles that don't generate any results. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you, let's say, boost posts, because that's ultimately what I would consider a light form of advertising. If you're getting results from that strategy, it's because you're getting lucky in your market and your audience, and you don't necessarily have a scalable strategy. And when we talk about organic social posting and why it doesn't work, it's simple. Meta, any sort of social platform out there is a pay-to-play platform. If you're not investing money into that, you have to be investing content. That's the only other way you're going to get any sort of traction. So Facebook and Instagram, they'll reward you if you have a ton of followers and you produce a lot of content. That is supplementing you spending money on their platform to get the same visibility. But in order to get to that point that where you get that downhill snowball effect, you need several thousand followers and you need daily or if not hourly posts throughout the day to get any sort of traction. We are looking at roughly about a 5% reach for all of those that like and follow your Facebook page. Those are the 5% that are actually going to see that post organically in their newsfeed and roughly maybe 1% of those actually engage. Now, when we're looking at advertising, that is your amplification mechanism. That's you putting fuel on that fire. That is what's going to get you the results at the end of the day. So you're saying there is a place, but for those posts to work, results, as you said, you really need to have a pretty decent following to begin with, right? Right. Our inability to target anything on those posts is really where the rubber meets the road. So you're putting yourself out there. But in order to get to that viral downhill effect, again, you're looking at several thousand followers established and then that daily content production. And I would argue, you know, your time is a commodity. How much time are you investing into that? And is it worth your time? Probably not. And that's really where, you know, we look at it as the standpoint of if you're going to invest your time into something, do it into something that actually makes sense. And that is should be running your business, not necessarily marketing it. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hyde. Five years ago, you probably thought of Hyde as a great source for drywall tools or their multi-tool. But now I'm sure you've noticed Hyde has an entire line of paint applicators and accessories, roller covers, brushes, roller frames, paint trays, all of it. 
you got a big exterior job like staining a large deck, try the Lamb Pro roller covers. Or if you want a flawless finish on interior walls, the microfiber fabric in the Evolution lineup of roller covers are guaranteed to be lint-free. Or try the more economical Woven Ultra covers. And when it comes to brushes, Hyde offers top-of-the-line Evolution brushes, which feature an oval-shaped handle for maximum hand comfort. And if you're on an oil-based job, Hyde's extra brushes are a blend of boar hair and polyester filaments for all oil paints, varnishes, and enamels. And then there's the Millennium Angled Sash Brush with soft synthetic filaments, perfect for indoor latex, especially cutting and trim work. Did I mention? No, I didn't, but I'm gonna. Hyde's new Flexi Frame roller cages are now in stores these frames connect on both sides of the roller, so there's no pesky walk-off, and you get nice, even pressure. Lastly, Hyde's new mini roller frame has an adjustable handle. Just loosen a wing nut in the middle, and you can angle it a full 180 degrees. You can have it straight or angled all the way to 90 degrees to the left, 90 to the right. Perfect for tight spaces. So, at this rate, we can only dream of the kind of stuff Hyde will offer five years from now, in 2028. But to see what they've got now, check them all out. HideTools.com. So when you think about viral videos or companies that, you know, are one hit, they, they've got a post that goes viral to some extent. Is there anything the rest of us can learn from that? Or are those largely anomalies that we shouldn't be chasing? Yeah. So Think about that one viral video. Think about how many other videos that person or that company may have created to get to that one viral video. Nobody goes in there and creates one video and says, I'm going to get a million followers out of this. That doesn't happen. It's not realistic. We're not talking in the realm of possibilities here. What does work is advertising. That is why Facebook and Instagram exist. Now, I'm not saying don't post to your social media accounts. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. Yeah. You need to post, but... We recommend that our clients post maybe once a week, a couple times a month. That's all that's required. And the reason we're asking them to do that is simply so if somebody goes and researches them, that they see that they're active. It's all about building that trust and authority. We don't need to go further than, than that. Interesting. Very interesting. It's like asking Kendall Jenner, hey, how do you, how do you launch a new product? Well, I just post and it sells millions. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> So let's talk about Google ads versus Facebook and Instagram. Draw a distinction between those two. How should we be thinking of those two differently? Or maybe, you know, how are they the same? Is one platform geared to be used one way and the other platform should be used differently? Do they reach different audiences? How should we be thinking about Google ads versus Facebook ads? This is actually one of our most common questions. And there's very distinct differences between the two and there's pros and cons to each. High level. When we're looking at Google, that's where the buyer intent exists, but it's expensive. Meta, cheap leads, high volume, no buyer intent. So what we're looking at there is you can either have a high volume of leads at a low cost or a low volume of leads at a high cost, but the quality is the big determining factor. So in any marketing channel, we always have three levers to pull. That is cost, volume, and quality. You typically can't have all three. So when we're looking at Google, we are looking at things like the cost per lead, depending on the competition level in your market, could be very high. But because somebody is actually typing in Google, painter near me or exterior painters, 
they already have that buyer intent established. They're on there looking for your services. Meta, in contrast, are going to be people who are scrolling through Instagram, looking at Instagram models and cute puppy pictures, and may not be focusing on hiring a painter. But it might be in the back of their mind, right? They may have had a conversation about it with their wife over the weekend, and then all of a sudden your ad pops up, and then you're the trust and authority source they've been looking for. Now, there's different strategies to each, but that is the general breakdown from a high level. And do you advise your clients to do both? Depends. The biggest thing that I can say whenever it comes to which channel you should pick is based on how much time you have and how good your sales process is. So most guys that we ask will say, I am the best salesperson in the world. In practice, they are not that great. And whenever it comes to selling to somebody who may not have the buyer intent already established, you need to have a solid sales process. So when we're looking at Meta, we have certain KPIs that we target. So we can get leads at a pretty reasonable price point over there at a pretty high volume. And even the quality, we have some mechanisms in place to put that in place. But at the end of the day, if you can't sell to leads that are coming in relatively cold, there's no point of even advertising on there. I would rather you spend more knowing that your time is not going to be wasted and that at the end of the day, your close ratio should be higher. So those are the two things that we really look at in determining where we should put one of our clients. Nice. Don't just keep feeding the fire if you don't need the heat, baby. That's right. I like it. I like it. Okay, let's talk about, you had mentioned it earlier, about boosting posts. Draw some distinctions between boosting a post versus creating an ad on Facebook. Yeah, so when we're looking at boosting posts, it's very similar to just holding a sign next to a road, but you don't know necessarily who's driving down that road or if they're your target audience or not. You just know you're getting eyes on that post. Now, again, some people who do this actually get results, but it's not because they're good. It's just because they're getting lucky. So the distinction between that and, let's say, ads are ads you're actually building a marketing asset. You're building an advertising campaign that you can then throttle up and down like a faucet. So a boosted post, it follows that seasonal trend. Advertising campaigns, we can target things such as your target location, likes and interests. So for instance, on our meta ads campaigns, one of our distinction points is we look for those that follow and like luxury brands. Think of like Mercedes and BMW and Gucci, right? Because these kinds of people will generally be those with larger budgets who understand that I don't want to paint my own house. I want to pay somebody $10,000, $20,000 to go about doing that. So some of the things that we do are we build what are called custom audiences. The thing that I think Meta gets and Facebook, Instagram, they get a lot of trash about is that we are literally selling user data. So mm. a custom audience is simply data points based on likes, interests, followers, friends, location, every single data point that you can possibly imagine we can sell to. Now, Meta is slowly taking away some of those levers. But in general, we can still build a custom audience around that by saying these people converted. So let's say we displayed an ad to a thousand different people. And let's say maybe 20% of those people actually converted. That is our custom audience that we want to see more of. So what we can do is go to Meta and say, hey, give me a lookalike audience within 1% of that data set that's in my target service area and show this ad to all of them. So that means out of that 20%, we're going to go find the other 80% that are probably going to click on that ad and, and, and commit to it within your target service area once we have enough data compiled. 
You cannot do that with a boosted post. You're just getting lucky. Fascinating. Man. You know, you, you talked earlier about results. I'm in media, right? Media, especially B2B media, we we generate our revenue not from the readers, but from from advertisers who are trying to reach our readers. And talk about targeted audience. That's the entire point of B2B media. So a company like American Painting Contractor, we have a pure and focused audience of professional painting contractors. And so our our advertising partners love that. And that's that's why we're still in business, right? So we create tremendous content that readers enjoy, but then we have to monetize that. And so we sell access, hopefully in a non-offensive and non-annoying way. And that's why we're successful. So when you talk about results, what results can be quantified? What are the metrics? And Facebook certainly has had their challenges when some of their metrics were deemed to be less than accurate, perhaps. So how do you advise and guide your, your clients on how do, they, how do they even know what success looks like? What metrics are most useful when you're advertising on Facebook? Great question. And actually, what I want to do is kind of propose this from both Meta and Google, because yeah. there are different KPIs that we measure on each. Absolutely. So, on Meta, we're really looking at your cost per lead in relation to your close rate and return on ad spend. Okay. So what that means is your cost per lead, there's going to be a range because not every market is the same. If you have a smaller audience size, just to put this into perspective, our dream client are those doing a couple million dollars a year. Uh, they got a few crews. They've been established for a couple of years. They're not a startup. So they have some sort of a, a reputation online. That's our sweet spot. But the bottom line is if you're advertising on Meta, you are going to be in this range of, let's say, about 30 to $60 a lead normalized throughout a 12-month calendar year. And I say that because we have seasonality. So your cost per lead is going to go up during the, the winter, and it's going to drop down during the summer. But if you normalize that throughout a year, that gives you an average that you can work towards. On Google, we're going to be looking at things like the average cost per lead, which is going to be sub $100 is our target KPI, in relation to your conversion rate. So on Meta, when we look at your cost per lead, we also want to know how that lead is converting on your end. Because at the end of the day, we can send you leads that are $5 a lead all day long, but those are going to be trash leads, which I do want to mention, if you ever hear a marketing agency say, we guarantee X number of leads a month, or we can get you the average cost per lead of $5 a lead, run. Because that is not the metric that you should be looking for. At the end of the day, it's return on ad spend. That is the most honest way to measure your return on investment. So it's called ROAS. And ROAS is basically just the metric of determining, excluding your marketing investment. If we're just looking at what you're investing into ads, what is your return on ad spend? Our clients average 20 to 30%, 20 to 30X return on ad spend. So that's a massive return. That's a no brainer. Now on Google, it's going to be slightly different. So when we're looking at cost per lead, that's part of it. But then we look at conversion rate. Now, why is conversion rate important? It's because we can optimize an ad campaign up to a point. But at that point, there is no additional optimizations that we can have, which means that that is your floor. That is the lowest we can get that lead cost down to. So for instance, our target KPI on a conversion rate is 20%. That is nearly unheard of in most industries. So most industries, the average ad will convert at about 5 to 10%. So you figure you're leaving in the average scenario, roughly 90 to 95% on the table. 
But if we know that we can optimize it up to 20% before you can't optimize it any further, and you're still paying $150 a lead on Google, we're going to have to come to you and say, hey, look, you know, Steve, we cannot get this cost per lead down any lower. That is your market average. That is because you have other competition in that market that want to spend more than you on that same lead. And that really just comes down to those other lead aggregators out there that have really been dominating this market on Google. And that's a whole other can of worms I'd love to jump into at some point in the future. Yeah. And again, your clients, as with all people, run the gamut as far as their comfort or sophistication with diving into these numbers. But does your typical client sort of come to you with some familiarity with these numbers or not? It's a wide range. So whenever I talked about that rainbow of personalities, we have some guys who will hand over the assets that we need and we hit the ground running and we report to them every month and they are happy. We have other clients who want to gauge exactly what campaign is performing best and really get in the weeds. And we don't mind it either way. It really depends on what the business owner is looking for and what we can do to help them succeed. And ultimately, making sure that they're comfortable with that success, because success looks different to different people. And I think that's the big thing that's really important here is a lot of people look at us as like magicians, which we're not. We consider all of our clients a partner because we do require different assets from them and different deliverables from them every single month. Without deliverables, such as reviews and media, it's difficult for us to fuel any marketing machine out there because, again, going back to trust and authority, we need something that's authentic from our clients in order to amplify their message online. Let's talk about SEO. I mean, it's it's got to be frustrating for people who who can't spend a ton of time on this because, of course, Google's changing their algorithm. Everybody's changing their algorithm every once in a while just to stay ahead so that it doesn't get too easy, a.k.a. is always difficult. What's going on these days in the world of SEO? What What should contractors know about? I dislike the term. SEO so much. <laughs> so <laughs> I like to say the term is dead. We still use it very fluently because it's still a topic that everybody uses, right? But in general, Google has said over and over and over again, all they want to rank a website or to rank your business online is for you to be helpful and to provide authority. Now, why is that becoming more important today? We've all heard of ChatGPT, and I'll, I can definitely talk more about AI content and how Google's fighting that. But at the end of the day, Google only cares about getting you off of Google.com and to your answer as soon as possible. Because you searching on Google is taking up their resources. That's server space that they need to serve you a page and serve you those search results every single time that you enter in a query. So if you think about it from Google's standpoint, if... I type in painter near me and I get the top page that is just a trash website, trash company, one star rating. I'm probably going to click back and go back to Google and click on the next one and then go further down that list. Every time I go back to Google, that's taking resources on their end. So it's in their best interest to get you the best quality content delivered at the top of that page. That's all we do. We just deliver helpful content for our our clients target audience. So we're amplifying their message for them. And that's the best way to get on Google page one. We do not buy backlinks. We do not do any black hat tactics that may have worked five, 10 years ago. In fact, we have to undo a lot of that today. A lot of our clients dig themselves in the hole using tactics that, you know, back around 2010 may have worked, but Google's smarter than that now. 
but it's still about you got to say the right things, aka keywords, right? You have to you have to be active, aka fresh posts. Is, I mean, is that still accurate? One thousand percent. So okay. when we're looking at optimization. I like to look at it more about authorship. So we're creating content that your audience is going to find helpful. Now, in order to position that content, you do need to know what they're searching for. So just for instance, there's actually a very big gap between the term painters near me versus painter near me. So the pluralized version versus singular. Hmm. That gap is massive. And you may not recognize it, but we write content about the pluralized version as a result of that. Same goes for painting company, painting services. These are all terms that have buyer intent and that we're writing content around. So yeah, there is a high level optimization that takes place. That is more about strategy than anything else. Again, the term optimization, I think it's pretty dead nowadays. As long as you're writing helpful content that's targeted, you will get to where you're trying to go. So as far as talking about what's necessary as far as spending to get help. And, you know, we'll talk in a bit about what base coat marketing does. And I know the answer is you offer a wide range of services and it can be as involved or uninvolved as the contractor likes. But just trying to frame this idea of somebody who's never used marketing assistance before, is there any way you can guide them, listeners, as to what they could expect. And again, I know that's, it's almost an impossible question because it depends on, you know, what's the state of their marketing thus far. Maybe they haven't lifted a finger. And so you have a lot of work to do, or maybe they've actually filled the funnel pretty well and you can pick it up. But are there lots of different price points that people can spend in order to see results? Yeah. So I kind of look at this as, as a, a tiered system. So when we're looking at when you should start potentially hiring a marketing agency, that's generally going to be about the 500K annual mark. So when your business crosses that threshold, that is generally the right time to look into hiring an agency. If you're under that number, there's a lot of things you can do on your own because you should have time to do that. And ultimately, you don't want to be spending your minimum marketing budget on things that are digital. Like I would primarily recommend somebody under 500K do postcard mailers, door hangers, you know, make sure your, your vehicles wrap, professionalize your business. Don't be wasting money on meta ads at that point. Once you cross that threshold, your marketing spend tends to open up. We never want any of our clients to have all of their eggs in one basket, which is why we make sure that when we're talking to our clients that we don't consume their entire marketing budget. We want them to have supplemental income to go do those offsite marketing tactics that we simply don't do. So with that said, that is kind of the minimum bars about 500K. Once you get to that point, we can scale very fast. In terms of pricing, we look at a budget of around three to $4,000 a month. That budget is healthy enough online and even the more competitive markets where we can still generate a significant return on investment within the first 30 days. That is our goal with any client that we bring on. If we can do that in 30 days, we can do it every month after that. It just becomes easier and easier. Do you think digital marketing is, I mean, it's always changing, obviously. Most everything is evolving, but things evolve at quicker and slower pace. So where are we now in the in sort of the evolution cycle? Do you see things changing very quickly or are things relatively stable these days? I look at that as, to, to your point, kind of a long-term trend and a short-term trend. So long-term, I'm looking at about three to five years. And again, going back to AI, so chat GPT, 
there's the potential that AI can simply replace all content online, period, end of story. So when we're looking at, let's say, full feature films, if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, there's going to be AI movies that are generated without actors. Same goes for content online. In the future, there's not going to be a website. Nobody's going to be searching for painters on Google. They're simply going to ask, you know, uh, an AI bot who I should hire to paint my house. And they'll probably have a service for that. But we're looking at a, a future that's a few years away. Just to clarify exactly how important AI has become, we actually have an internal task called AI research that any employee on our team can go track time against. And people do. Like it is something that on a daily basis, somebody is out there doing AI-based research. It's fascinating. Delve into that a bit more. What do you mean by time tracking? What are they actually doing? Yeah. So for instance, our content team, we do not use AI to write content for SEO. That is something that every piece of content that we write is all human written. What we do use AI for are things like maps. So content mapping, also content siloing. So we actually create content silos to determine, you know, if you want to go an inch wide and a mile deep on exterior painting, how do you do that? You don't just write a post about painting the exterior of your house. You talk about tips about painting garage doors, how to paint the trim on your house, gutter painting, right? Like there's a number of different nuanced topics that you can write about all having different search volume, different buyer intent, but you're establishing yourself as the authority online and we're building the authorship behind that in the form of the business owner. So that's just one avenue that we're using AI. Our graphic teams exploring using AI to actually generate graphics for ad creative. Video content, we're using AI to basically slice up our podcast from full hour-long feature podcasts down to these little reels and clips that are bite-sized. And the AI is smart enough to recognize that this is an engaging clip that people are probably going to like. So yeah. just a few examples there. That's awesome. And I'd say that's another metric. If you're working with a vendor who has an overly positive or negative view of, say, AI, probably not somebody you want to work with. If they if they want to overly label AI as ideal versus the devil, AI is fascinating. So many upsides. It is not a solution to everything. But man, the potential for AI is absolutely tremendous. And I love the way, Austin, that you just described that. Thank you for that. So, and I'm, before I interrupted, you were about to talk about, uh, short-term goals. Yeah. Short-term trends right now in this space, it's all relatively stable year over year. One thing that comes to mind is Google ads. A lot of guys were getting some good results last year and every year before that. Last year, Google released a few paid search algorithm updates. And it's important to understand that Google has both paid search and organic algorithms. They're separate. They determine, you know, how much you're going to pay per lead versus where you rank on Google search. So they updated their algorithm last year and they're pushing every local service business off of Google ads onto local services ads. Now I've talked about local services ads on a number of other podcasts. We have an entire blog post, including our SOPs about how to go about advertising on there on our website. Uh, it's basecoatmarketing.com slash LSA. I highly recommend going to check that out. But something that you guys have probably, anybody listening to this podcast have probably understood is the cost that you used to pay for leads last year around this time has probably doubled since then. And that is with you doing nothing aside from leaving your ad campaign run. That's because Google's favoring those with larger budgets. 
those lead aggregators who are willing to spend three, four, five hundred dollars a lead because they resell that same lead, you know, five, ten times over and make their margins back. Another thing that we're noticing in this particular industry, so the professional painting space, is the number of new marketing agencies coming in, defining themselves as experts. So marketing is a very ambiguous service. I think a lot of people can translate on both sides of that equation, the marketer and the client, what success in marketing looks like. And as a result, there's no hard KPIs that you can look at to say, hey, this is working well, aside from ROI, which is our big metric. It's just looking at how much money you're spending versus how much we're putting back in your pocket. It's a very holistic metric. But at the end of the day, as we're seeing this influx of other agencies, new companies coming in, preaching the the expertise of the professional painting space, I just ask anybody listening to be wary and do your homework. Ask for references, for case studies. That is what's really going to help you determine who's legitimate, who actually knows how this industry works, and who's just painting themselves as a fly-by-night expert. Man, Austin, I love your passion for what you do. It's It really comes through. That's tremendous. It's uh, not just something, you know, obviously you're good at it, but I think you're good at it because you love it, which is different from loving it because you're good at it. Um, <laughs> it there really is a distinction because the, the love comes first and the, the passion is what drives your success. So that's awesome. So if people head over to basecoatmarketing.com, where, where would you guide them? Where could they learn something about what it is you all do before they contact you? Yeah, so the first thing is I highly recommend anybody go check out what we do, basecoatmarketing.com. We have an entire learning center on there. We have a podcast ourselves. Go check us out. Make sure you feel like we're going to be a good fit for you and your company. Uh, we generally turn away about two-thirds of business for a number of different reasons. We do have an ideal customer profile that we look to work with, and that's primarily because as a marketing agency, a results-driven company, we want to make sure that we can actually generate you results. If I'm not confident that we can put more money back in your pocket each month, I'm not going to take you on as a client. If you're interested in jumping on our calendar to talk to somebody on our end about how we might be able to help, go to basecoatmarketing.com slash call, C-A-L-L, and schedule a call with our team. We'd be happy to chat with you, talk through pros and cons and our strategies, and see if we might be a good fit. I love it, and I'm sure there's not a listener here who doesn't understand and appreciate the idea that you've got an ideal customer because, of course, if they're good at what they do and all of our listeners are excellent at what they do, they obviously have a, an ideal customer as well. They don't say yes to every job. So, Austin, man, thank you for spending time with us. I mean, I'm a high-energy guy, but, dude, you get the gears going even faster because, again, uh, I love that you love what you do. Uh, you're a kindred spirit, high energy. I love it. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me here. Again, that's Austin Hauser of Base Coat Marketing. Learn more, basecoatmarketing.com. And when you're done there, head back to paintmag.com where all your friends are, all of your friends, the, the custom content that APC has been producing for 99 years, which means next year is our 100th. Good Lord, where there's going to be so much cake involved next year. Just you wait. The cake is going to be everywhere. You're everywhere. We're everywhere. Thanks for listening. You're all doing a fabulous job. I'll see you next time.